Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey, folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your co-host, Cliff Schechter, here with the ever-present John Aravosis. Hello, John. Hello. Hello. John says hello, as you can tell. Um, Today, we're lucky enough to have, let's see, should I call you one of my best Twitter friends? Yes. Does that sound weird? I know. Every, these days, I want to be. I want to be one of your best Twitter friends. You, well, you absolutely are. You know. <laughs> who doesn't? Um, and now everybody's like, "Who could it be?" Um, we are lucky enough on the podcast to have Jamie Schler with us. If you don't know Jamie, you're, you're missing out. Jamie's like one of the coolest, nicest people on Twitter, and I can say that literally without doubt. Um, she is a professional. Let's, should we go with baker, cook, chef? What do you like to be called, Jamie? I like to be called um, food writer. That works. She's a professional food writer. She's written for the New York Times, written for numerous... No, Washington pu- Post. Washington Post. Oh, sorry, I got my elitist uh, publications wrong, as Tucker Carlson <laughs> would say. Um, yeah, food elitist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the Washington Post. Uh, what other publications have you written for? Um, Fine Cooking Magazine, which oh, I loved. Um I've done, I was a contributor, a long-time contributor for Huffington Post when they had a food page. That's a good list. And, and what you should do is buy her book, um, books, I should say, plural. One of them is Orange Appeal. I got that for my wife for, uh, I think it was for Christmas. Um, savory and sweet. And like, there's lots of delicious looking orange stuff in here and you, you, you should and I'm buy assuming because... people can Google you on Amazon or any of the book, uh, yeah. book websites, yes. right? Yes. And then your more recent book in our times of, of trouble is Isolation Baking, which I know you also talk a lot about on on uh, John's, I think, Freaking Out the Dog or well, somebody else's in his place. Google went off again. It just You're... started talking on its own. John doesn't get yet that Google is is coming to life and spying on him and knows everything he does. This was, you know, usually it's the one behind me being weird. This is the one in the living room that's like the living room TV speaker. It just started. It was like some guy talking in the living room, and that's why I was going. Dude, I don't know if you saw the Terminator movies, but it's Skynet (laughs) and it's coming for you. And now a word from our sponsor. Bill Press has been one of the leading progressive voices in the country. We are so glad he's out there on the left, stronger than ever. And right now he's using that progressive voice in the Bill Press podcast. The Bill Press pod is up twice a week, an in-depth interview with a major newsmaker on Tuesday, plus his lively, haha, lively, end of the week round. Hello. End of the week. End of the week. End of the week. End of the week. Reek, reek. That's from uh, Game of Thrones. End of the week roundtable with three of the Washington top political reporters digging deep on the latest craziness from the GOP, the massive voter suppression bills in the states, and the Democrats' fight to keep control of the Congress in 2022. So I encourage you to join us in subscribing to the Bill Press Pod. It's a must-listen for all progressives. To sign up, just go to wherever you go for podcasts. Search the Bill Press Pod. Search the Bill Press Pod. <laughs> wherever you go for podcasts. Go Search- everywhere. Yes. Cliff and I are going to Cliff and I are going to grammatically correct the ad. Search for the Bill Press Pod. Click on subscribe and then tell your friends to do the same. Take it from us. We follow the Bill Press Pod, and you should. And now back to our show. So let's say quickly, thank you so much for being here, Jamie. And Jamie actually yes. also lives in France, American, but also French. Uh, owns a hotel, which you can mm-hmm. tell me about. Which the next when we go on our trip, and we're hoping it is. Uh, next summer, 
when we take the kids to Spain and France, we are going to hopefully stay Yay. on Odell. Um, and, um, you know, thank you in general for being here. Thanks for having me. You know, your yours is one of my favorite podcasts. It's one of the ones I listen to cool. as regularly as I can get to my headphones. And um, so it's such an honor to be here. It's really, I'm really thrilled. Well, thank you. We've been planning to ask you for a while, and I don't know why we didn't earlier. And then I thought yesterday, I'm like, we, you know, we, we haven't about it a couple months yeah. ago, and then we forgot. Yeah. And I'm like, I haven't had a guest on tomorrow. And I know that I saw also, you know, I know I'm introducing everything about you, Gene. Hotel owner. <laughs> Author, writer, but but now you you should probably plug your podcast. You have a podcast starting, don't you? I have a podcast that I'm still waiting for us to schedule the first. I just got my equipment, so I'm um, waiting to for the producer Matt to uh, schedule the first uh, the first couple of uh, sessions that we're going to do. Um, I have my first guests, you know, raring to go. And it's what on baking and cooking and that fun it's, stuff. Um, yes. It's called stir crazy because we <laughs> all are too. in every sense of the word of the term. Right. Um, and I'm having non-food people come on and talk food with me. And now I'm going to have to have John on. Yes. <laughs> Here we go. Since we well, I can come on and tell you food I like to eat if that's interesting. <laughs> Well, but, let me ask. That's I, funny you said. Yes. Well, can I ask really quick? Because I, I, Jamie's only got about half an hour. So this will be one of those episodes where I keep talking faster and faster, trying to cram my questions in. What uh, I may have answered this myself before the show. Jamie and I had a little talk, and then got very excited while we were talking about food. But I was going to ask you, like, how do you have a podcast about food? How do you do an oral, a u r a l show that's just words and not video when it's food? Well. That's what's going to be different about mine, because what we're going to attempt to do is, well, you can talk about food all the time. I mean, we, you and I just talked for 10 minutes I know, minutes we just did 10 minutes. And it's yeah. fascinating, but we're going to, with the first couple of de guests, we're going to attempt to cook and or, cook or bake something together at the same time and video it while we're oh, recording oh, okay. the audio. Right. So, and then upload them to YouTube or whatever, and we'll see right. if it works. I don't know. So, I, I honestly feel yeah, like if you have yeah. the right personalities and you have the right chemistry, I could talk about it, about like a snack table in my living room yeah. for a half hour. I mean, yeah. you know, you make jokes, you have fun, you, you know, you do all that, which. But there's so much more about food to talk about than just yeah. let's make a recipe because yeah. it's, you know, there's food in history and there's food in culture and there's food in your family and there's yeah. what, you know. That's exactly what I was thinking. And you've done yeah. some of that with your yeah. isolation baking. I know you've pointed out certain recipes. I feel like some of them might have been family and other stuff. Um, I want to ask you, though, um, not that I don't want to get back to food because we can always talk food. Um, so we've talked on this show and you listen. So you probably know about, you know, often, I mean, I'm very much a believer in mixed economies and argue for, you know, I'm not I don't, I don't want pure capitalism, pure socialism, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, but it does seem like the more capitalist countries, which often fail in a lot of ways the one, uh, on safety net stuff, have gotten it right when it comes to vaccines. Everything I've been reading is Canada, you know, continental Europe um, and others, Japan have been, you know, way behind because the United States, United Kingdom, Israel, and others were just more about let's get the vaccines out there. We'll take on the the liability from the companies, you know, the state will, we don't, if we pay a little more than we have to, well, such is life. You know, do you, do you think that's the reason or are there other reasons as the. The only thing I know is that because I, because I know that there were Brits that were kind of saying the only positive thing that came out of Brexit was 
that the UK didn't ha- didn't have to pull in with the rest of the EU right. to get the vaccines. They did it on their own. So they did it like the states, I guess, where they just like charged in and bought what they needed and took it home. Right. Whereas the, the European Union, all the countries kind of said, OK, we're going to do this all together. And I yeah. don't know where it went wrong, but they just yeah. ended up walking away with no vaccines. Yeah. So I mean, you're under lockdown right now, aren't you? Again, we're in a month, a month confinement where people are not allowed to leave their, what, well, 10 kilometers. What happened? 10 kilometers. I mean, speaking from a country that's incredibly effed up, especially when it comes to <laughs> coronavirus over here, I yeah. just, it, it boggles my mind. And lots of other things. Looking at Europe. Yeah. But I mean, but looking at Europe and seeing like how bad things have been. I, I mean, one thing that I've been trying to figure out, I've, uh, for a lot of friends have been going back and forth to France. I would not travel anywhere during COVID, but yeah. they went to like Paris in September and they were posting photos of everybody at my favorite little picnic spot along the Seine. You know what I mean? Well, actually, I don't know if you hang out in Paris much, but along the Seine, you know, there's the wonderful little uh, sort of brick road area that you can sit on by the river and and now, Jamie and I were more southern France people. John, yeah, you're so. southern. You're southern. I'm a northern France guy. Um but they people are sitting out you know, groups of 10 to 15 having a picnic, no masks, and there's group yeah. after group after group after group and they're all hanging together and clearly they're all walking amongst each other. No one's wearing masks. And this was yeah. back in September when we really thought the outdoor thing could be a risk. I, have people been less even though you've been locked down, have people been less masky? <laughs> In France, been here. It's you know, it's it's hard to tell because it seems like a lot of people are following the guidelines, but at the same time, I think what happened. I mean, this is only my personal yeah. opinion. Is that summer? You know, the French are really into their vacations. I mean, that's yes. what they live for, and so we did the first confinement and continued, and then Macron decided, and I'm. He's claiming that it was partly for the economy, but I don't think so. Macron just seems to not want to get anyone angry. He's the president. So, Right. Yeah. Sorry. Um, So he kind of said, well, Hmm. we're going to let you be responsible. Um, we're going to assume that you're going to follow the guidelines, and that, we're just going to let you all right go on vacation. You're a Republican yeah. governor. Of I was going to say, that's a, yeah. that's a so, Republican <laughs> position. That's, that's a bad Christy mistake. Christy Nome. yeah. Whenever you assume so, that Americans or, or any regular people – I don't mean to cut you off. I'll, go, I'll shut up in a second. But assuming regular people will be responsible, by the way, that's also <laughs> how, how we've gotten exactly. into the mess with guns in this country. We've got. Yeah. Oh, my God. Exactly. Exactly. People are not in general responsible. And so he let everybody go on vacation from the 14th, you know, from Bastille Day, 14th of July, through the end of August, beginning of September, when the kids had to go back to school. Right. And, you know, people just packed, packed in, packed in, restaurants Ugh. reopened, yeah. people packed oh. in. So indoors and people were eating with, oh, God. People were indoors. We did go to a local restaurant where <laughs> my son came to visit, and hmm. we went to this restaurant where they were following the guidelines, but they weren't following the guidelines. So you go upstairs hmm. to the second floor for the room, and right. you're like, you know, a foot and a half from the next table. But the people, <laughs> there's like eight people at the next table, and they're not supposed to be eight people, but they oh. let eight people. And they're all talking very loudly in this oh. very tiny room with yeah. a very low ceiling. Yeah. And we're sitting there kind of sweating, going, should we stay? Should we leave? Yeah. Um, 
but basically as soon as that first, you know, let people go on yeah. vacation happened, we, we, we said there's going to be a second wave. There's no way there's not going to be a second wave. And then right. just, it keeps going. And then you see, you know, where a lot of biz, bigger businesses like supermarkets, which are allowed to stay open, um, at the beginning, they were very, very strict with, you know, how many people can go in. And now they're not really that strict anymore. Mm. And so it's. Um, wow. So that's part of it. Well, I mean, I know the vaccine yeah. thing has been all screwed up, but that's I, it just blows my mind. I just as an American, we saw how bad things were here and how bad people were being, depending on the city. Right. I mean, D.C. has been amazing. Yeah. And also the that. state like it, it's areas yeah. it's states. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously, if I remember correctly, Jamie, you're originally from Florida, right? I'm from Florida, yeah. So yeah, you know the Florida's deal. I mean, obviously, they, they're, oh, they've been yeah. one of the they've been one of the worst because that jackass governor. You know, yeah. I just thought that was kind of a goofy American thing. I never thought Europeans would mess this up. Like I figured they would just be, you know. You know what the difference is, John. Here's my here's my my roundup of this. Ironically, hmm. Americans, and this will tell to you. I'll explain our two cultures. Americans refuse to not go to work, uh, and so COVID mm. spread. In South of Europe, you refuse to not vacation, <laughs> so you yeah. get it. Yeah, I mean, well, there's, here, there you is know, we 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 live in France. We have one son in Belgium and one son in Switzerland, hmm. in Zurich, in the German section. And hmm. the way, so we've been kind of following how the three countries are are handling this over the course of time, and it's really down to, hmm. you know the mentality of the people in general and how they've been their, their culture, how, so, I mean, you have the Swiss who are really, 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 you know, everybody follows the rules in Switzerland. It's the big joke, but it works when it comes to something like a pandemic. Right. That's that's the sort of thing in Japan too, right? Where everybody masks. So they didn't have to even shut the economy down. They still were, you know, if you've been to Tokyo, you know, these subways get so filled with people. It's like, it makes New York subways look spacious. And yet they kept doing it, but because everybody was masked, like their cases were minimal. Yeah. Yeah. We're not obedient in America. And I guess we're not obedient in France either. Oh, well. Um, Well, Should we talk food a little bit or what? Or do you have more on France? Did you want to ask Cliff? (laughs) I don't know. We can talk France. You can you can say stuff about American politics if you want. We can talk food. What would you I'd like to talk about? I'd, li- I'd like to do a little food. What about you, Jamie? Let's do a little food. <laughs> Food's always good. <laughs> Let's continue our food discussion. You said you were going to – before the, we started taping, you said you wanted to ask me something weird. Yeah, I want to ask you something weird, which is have you ever had um, – like had an accident or something where you've fallen on your forehead? When you were a kid, for example. Um, uh, not that I know of. I, as an adult, I walked into a street pole, and that was the most horrifying experience. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying and to I, was, I was talking to somebody, looked to my left, and walked right into a pole. And I mean, Ouch. when you walk into a solid piece of metal that's cemented into the ground, it doesn't mm-hmm. move. I... I, I fell to the, I, it was the most horrifying experience of my life. I couldn't believe how painful it was. Anyway, that's the only time I don't recall falling on my head, my forehead. Okay. Be- because you, your, your approach, the way you were talking about food mm. is kind of similar to me where it's not like, let's just, you know, eat. It's oh, no. more like about the food. And I, I say this because, um, mm. I, I need to re- I need to write about this again, but mm. in the late eighties, we were, my husband was reading the International Herald Tribune, which existed back then. Right. And he said, oh, look, there's an article and it describes you. 
Right. And it was the, an article about these Swiss um, Swiss psychiatrists hmm. who had discovered something called gourmand syndrome, hmm. which is people who had um, people who were obsessed with food, but but yeah. more like talking about it, yes. and looking at it, and yeah, yes, m- not eating food, but food itself, and. And I'm like, okay, this is funny, but it does yeah. describe me. And yeah. reading further, it said that 99% of their patients hmm. had had damage done to their front right oh, lobe funny. of their brain. Funny. And I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, I had that when hmm. I was nine years old. Hmm. So, you yeah, th- you know, wow. And I this fell on my head, unconscious. Wow. So I was just wondering, because it's it's... Well, you, a different approach to food. It's you know, a different way of looking at food. See, I I think of that approach, the sort of um, almost sexual <laughs> approach towards discussing food as being, I always think of it as European or foreign because my experience, my first experience with somebody like that was my friend Walter went to law school with a German-American, uh, literally binational. Dad was an American soldier in World War II, married a German mom. They stayed in Germany. Uh, Walter then came here for law or for grad school and law school. So like truly binational guy. I visit him in uh, Frankfurt and we go, of course, to Basel to deal with his dad's bank account. And I just love the whole concept of, you know, dad's got a Swiss bank account, you know, as an American. You're like, <laughs> and we go to Basel. They finish that. We go to lunch at some restaurant. Back then it was $100 a person for lunch, which was I would mm. say equivalent to 250 today because I remember the amount of money going, oh, my God, they treated me. And we had this wonderful meal, but then multi-course meal, you know, a different wine with each meal. We came home and Walter's German mom sits and goes, okay, tell me about the meal. And we're talking, she goes, mm. no, 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 first course. What was the first course? What was the wine? How did it go? And we all talked about the first course and then, okay, next course. And they, we went through the entire meal step by step and each part uh, sort of negotiated and discussed the pairings and what it was like and... I, it was, I don't even want to, I don't know what to call it. I like, I keep comparing it to sex. I don't know what else to call it, but it was this, you were reliving the experience, but you were also dissecting it and finding nuance in it. It was just amazing. That's funny because my husband who for many years would go to nice places for like business lunches. Yeah. He would come home and I would say, okay, tell me about the meal. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> was he good? What would he say? Well, he loves food too, but he oh, thinks I'm crazy. So, oh, so he's like, I don't know. We just had meat or what? Well, so in other words, he's a normal spouse. No, he would get a little bit more involved than it's just meat because he is, does pay attention to his food, yeah. but he would wonder how I could enjoy something I wasn't participating there in. There you go. Yeah, yeah like a second. Yeah. Well, but this is, I was going to ask you about your podcast, and it also makes me think of cooking shows. I, I can watch cooking shows till the cows come home. I Mm. can read recipes for hours and get so excited reading them and saving them and all of that. I was, I asked you at the beginning, like, how could you have a podcast that is a a listening show talking about food? And my real question there is, does it limit the interest to people like you and me? Or does the general public, and maybe cooking shows prove this, does the general public enjoy being a voyeur to food? even when they're not partaking in it or is it okay, just weird people? Well, that's interesting. Well, I think, I think, well, yeah, I mean, I can't, it can't possibly you know? be everybody, but the, using the word voyeur is interesting because it is like food, like sex, like yeah, there must be other things that go with food and sex, but um, 
<laughs> but and Cliff, but, Cliff is sitting there that, silently as like I said, that's for cool. John's other podcast as I've said before <laughs> but you can Who live it you can experience it and enjoy <laughs> it vicariously yeah so well I, I don't do know like, I, think yeah. I'll, I will jump yeah. into this one and say yeah. I think it's it's more I mean I think there's a lot of things that are like that. I mean, it depends on who you are, obviously, but, yeah. you know, I mean, I think a lot of, of sports is about that. I yep. mean, you know, people that are huge True. sports fans is you're, 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 you feel like you're a part of it. You're, you're you, right. Maybe you played, you're remembering yourself yep. when you played, you know, that kind or of thing. I mean, you know, discussions you guys have about sports, right? The way, the way you there's people. sports but, podcasts. But, but right. think of it, I mean, the way people talk about sports and they talk about the game and all the details. And I'm always like, I'm bored with sports, but I'm even more bored with you talking about it. But for you, you're, you're kind of <laughs> right. reliving it, I think, in a way. Well, I think anything, here's what I'll say. And I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever. I think anything that touches your emotions in a way mm. that can bring you memories, can sort of help you bond with people. And I think that includes food. Because I think recipes, it's like my grandmother's recipe. And my, you know, like, as I said, my... Yeah. I'm not, I'm awful uh, at cooking, but my wife is terrific um, mm-hmm. and just always has been. And, you know, she's got this part of her family that's Sicilian, you know, and they, and they've always right. done things a certain way and another part that's Dutch. And, and, and it's fun seeing her. She gets these recipes and does a great, you know, it does incredible things with them. And I do, I think part of it's like that, that family thing, you know, the connection yeah. to your family and all that. I just think anything that touches emotions, like and sports and politics certainly touch emotions yeah. too. You know, you know, Cliff, you made me think, and for Jamie, I, I, there are people, and again, I kind of wonder whether we're the majority of the minority, but there are some other people who get no joy out of food. I had a friend who, uh, you know, was watching his diet in the nineties, always on a new diet. I mean, very skinny, attractive guy, but always worried about his diet. And we'd go to restaurants and he'd order a plain salad, but meaning like lettuce, nothing on it and a plain <sighs> baked potato on the side. And I would oh, say God. to him, why don't you just not, why don't you just eat before you come? I don't mind if you just sit here with me. No, no, no. I like to get something. I'm like, but that's boring. He goes, you know, if I get anything nicer, I, it doesn't really matter. It's the same. And, and I said, yeah, but could you, he goes, I eat this every night. It's fine. I'm like, you eat that every mm. night. He, so then I got into the discussion. I said, but when you eat food, isn't there any food that makes you make yummy noises and things that just makes <laughs> you kind of close your eyes and go into another? My mom would say about me, she's ever since I was a kid, she goes, you make noise when you eat. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you kind of go, hmm. <laughs> when I'm eating something that yeah, really. You do that all the time, John. You do that on the podcast. When I do the too. podcast, Cliff goes, you know. <laughs> like when people are talking. John, Adam Schiff. You, you know, you'll sound like, go, huh. Well, I, Cliff, I mean, yeah, Cliff mentions thing. Adam Schiff, and I go, oh. Right. Not, doesn't make it a bad thing. It's just that's that's. But know, I mean, I always wonder, expressive. like, are they are they the minority of people who don't literally get turned on by food, or are we the freaks who do? That's a good question. But see, that's one thing that I wanted to do with this podcast because, um, because I find it fascinating to to. Food is something that's, like you said, it's very emotional, it's very sensual, it's very heart, it's very soul, yep. and you learn a lot about real people. So yeah. I'm having non-food people on, so people mm. who have public personas in politics or journalism or right. whatever, um, and a lot of them that I've already invited are people who, in my DM chats... Uh, we've been talking, we talk food. We've been talking food right. for the past right. year with several of them. Right. And I find it fascinating because it kind of breaks that 
public persona that they keep intact for, you know, because they're on TV, because they're yep. whatever. Branding, um, if you will, like, right. They stick to the same topics and the same yep. kinds exactly. of things. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I, to me, that just tickles hmm. me pink. I don't know what it does hmm. to me. I mean, I just, I just, hmm. I feel like I'm getting at the real person. Yeah. So are there any people that you're going to have topic. on that you want to tell us about to promote your, uh, I don't know if you're um, releasing names yet or not, but. No, but Malcolm Nance released his own name on. <laughs> I was trying ah, to keep it well, all funny. Malcolm as a cook. That should yeah. be interesting. Well, we've had Malcolm on here no, a few times. And, and he is. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's, he's not at all. But, but he knows how well, to cook, we, though, right? I mean, if he's going to be on your show, I assume or no. Well, that's what you have to discover. <laughs> that's, that's what you have to, to listen to, the, to listen to the podcast or oh, watch my. it, John. You have to yeah, listen yeah, yeah. to the podcast. He's going to be the first one that we that we tape, and hopefully it'll be right. in the next week. Right. Um, well, that's a good start because he's a riot. So we love and what's yeah, 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 yeah. And what's funny is um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, what's oh, funny is that yeah, there's sorry. there's a lot there's a lot of people that well, in the in the first seven eight people that I've already discussed with a few of them have written books. So of course, doing my homework, I'm reading their books, and they're books that have nothing to do with food at all. They have to do with politics mostly. Um, I find food related questions to ask them from what they've written in their political books. So that's gonna it's cool. going to be fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, it's anyway, it's, I, I love food. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, reading recipes is what kind of blows my mind that it's, it's, I guess it's like reading fiction in a way, how you can get sort of drawn into the story or me. I love watching TV. I love watching fictional stuff on TV and recipes do the same thing for me. They just, well, see my big, my, the thing that I love the best, and I've written a few pieces like this, is finding, uh, taking a dish and tracing, mm. finding the history of the dish, the origin mm. of the dish. And it's easy with European food. You can yeah. kind of find the, the origin of a particular dish and then following it through history, but from like a not only a historical viewpoint, but a social right. viewpoint, because food is very social, too. I mean, social right. as far as social class. See, that's the part I can not. get really into, Jamie. Mm. Like, that's what I've always loved about language. You know, when you study ling you look at looking at linguistics and what I've loved about immigration is when you follow the patterns of certain social groups and families yeah. and ethnicities. Mm. And I think food is one of those keys yeah. that unlocks, you know, kind of like who the who people are. Right. And, yeah. and I think that could be incredibly well, fascinating. And you mentioned, Cliff, too, that it's it's so tied into our memories and our family history. Like I, I have mom's recipes and I make mom's Greek food. And right. mom is based on grandma's. And grandma's, of course, you know, I've got her old recipes. They're hysterical. A, you know, a fistful of flour. And I forget, she then has a bunch of English words translated into Greek phonetically. And I forget, I, oh, there's some beautiful cool. ones that are just hilarious. John's from Chicago, so his yeah. grandma is like that one from my big fat Greek wedding chasing the Turks off of the, the Okay, the John, if you, yeah. John, if you ever want to, if you ever want to pull this together into a cookbook and need a cookbook author to help you, I will work on this project with you. Look at this, John. I, mean, we, I would love to. The thing is, we don't, well, we don't have enough of the original recipes. I mean, there's only, hmm. not an, I don't, I'd have to see, but we've got both grandmas and their, their crazy recipes. You know what I mean? Because they're literally fistful, handful. Mom's recipes, I've got all of those. That's easy. But I'd still, I still always thought it would be, I don't know. It'd be, the Greek stuff fascinates me. Also, actually, my nephew Anthony has turned me on. There's a series of YouTube videos with the uh, Italian grandmas back in Italy. Oh, I, I, 
I, don't, I wonder if it, I've seen it, these or it's not. It's got a yeah. funny name, but they, and I mean, I speak Italian. I've been to Italy. Like I, it makes me sick. I didn't get like a Fulbright and go do this. They went and they interviewed grandmas in Italy and oh. sat down with, with Nonna and said, okay, make your favorite recipe. Okay. Here's how I do it. And it's the most adorable thing seeing these Italian grannies just walk you through their recipes and you're doing it with them. You know, I mean, how, Oh, how, ow, oh, oh my gonna, God. I'm my, gonna look for that. Okay, I have to tell you yeah. one more quick story, and I, I hate to do this because I know you only had half an hour. That's where we have to do our own show. When I was in Paris, I would go to Paris every summer and house it for friends. I studied abroad in France. Uh, Paris is my city, so to speak. And I go to the late local patisserie, the pastry shop near my friend's place in Montparnasse, and I'm taking pictures of some baguettes that just came out of the oven, and the guy took them away too fast, and I must have done something, and the guy who ends up being the chef running the place says, oh, I'm sorry, you know, what were you trying to do? And I said, no, I'm just, I'm visiting, I'm an American, I'm here every summer, just wanted some good pictures of the baguettes, but I, I missed it. Oh, we'll have more coming out in half an hour. I said, oh, you know, that's okay, I'm going to go. He goes, oh, have you ever, like, visited a patisserie before? I'm like, no, what do, you, what do you mean? Oh, come back here. He gives me a half hour tour of the bakery. He wow. then takes me down, and he's showing me the, the sourdough bread, everything else, takes me to the so basement. I love that, the pride that's taken in that. Cliff, sort of... I mean, it was, was that, now I'm filming this. Can I film it? He goes, sure. Takes me to the basement. He goes, do you know what Kunaman is? Or Kunyaman, Kunaman, I can't yeah. pronounce it, is. Yeah. And, I said, and I didn't at the time. I said, no. And he goes, oh my God, it's this Breton dish, a pastry. Let me show you. He mm. makes a whole thing of Kunyaman to show me. <laughs> And I'm filming this. And of course, as I'm doing this, this little mouse or rat runs, of course, across the room. <laughs> oh, my God. And I said, oh, no. and I said don't worry. I won't put it in the, in the video. He goes, oh, no, they're in all the bakeries and barrels. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but so we fix like half an hour of making these things. He then says, I'm really sorry. I don't have any available, but let me get you a couple other things. He makes me a little pastry bag and sends me on my way for free. I go and tell my French friends and they're like, We've lived here 15 years. That guy's never given us the time of day. <laughs> it was the most. You were the, he had the ability to turn I mean, you into a convert, John. That was. It's just yeah. amazing. And the, it, anyway, it, it's, it, there's so many layers to that story too, because it's Paris and Paris can be nasty, but also has this wonderful side if you can tap into it. But mm -hmm. God, getting a, a baker in Paris to give you a tour. And it was just, oh God. So Jamie, you said. My oh, first job, my first, my first job when, um, in 1987, hmm. um, when I settled here, was um, I, I went to be an assistant for a guy who was do, who was the first person to do a culinary gastronomic tourism, and he had been doing it for many, many years already in Paris. So he was working with like the two and three star Michelin chefs in the and Poilin Bakery and all the big wines, Taiwan wine cellar. And I became his assistant. And so for four years, I did culinary tourism in Paris, high-end culinary tourism. And I, um, he put me as interpreter for the Anglophone class at the French cooking school in Paris that he, hmm. yeah. So it's, yeah, getting the backside of things is incredibly hmm. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and just I, go on, Cliff. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. I just wanted to, I don't know if you really have to leave like right now, but I wanted to ask you one thing that's like 10 second yeah. question that's easily answered. I'm and yours. You're, and you're, yeah. you're an expert, so you can do this. I'm letting okay. my vaccine settle in my body, so I have no plans for the rest of the okay. day. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. So, right. <laughs> uh, settling in the body. Um, yes. So, Donald Trump eating well done steak with oh. ketchup, a oh. crime or a crime against humanity? I toss to you. Um, a, a, a crime, a crime and a pathology. 
I would are you say. Much of a, are you, mo- you much of a meat person, a steak person or not? Me? Yeah. Um, I don't like steaks. You know, the French, the they French, are ve- the, the steak, I'm, I'm a lamb person. Ah, there you go. I was just saying, that I'll go to the French. butcher and yeah. I'll get, I'll get a slice of lamb for me. There you and go. I'll get something for everybody else. But yeah. I know the French are very, very, very meat heavy. So you go to restaurants and it's very hard to not to get something that doesn't have meat and yeah. nothing else, no vegetables or anything. So it's, I think being after this year of confinement, it's starting to get annoy me a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I love meat. I guess I don't like, I've never liked steak. I adore meat, but steak has always bored me unless it's ground into a hamburger and then it can send me through the roof or it's a leftover steak that's cold and I can make a sandwich out of it. I'm like oh, a oh, Yum. We used to do that with ketchup. But fr- Bingo, but fresh and butter. By the way, that mid oh butter. Okay, <laughs> butter on a sandwich is not just a weird Midwestern thing that everyone else thinks we're nuts. I go to the rural, I forget what it's called in Paris, the big rural festival each year, and the guy we're trying some of the sausage from the south, and mm-hmm. it's either the southwest or the southeast, probably southwest near uh, Bur- Burgundy. And the guy goes, ah, here's some sausage, but here try it with some bread, but. He goes, I know you'll think this is crazy, but the way we do it in the South, we put a little butter on there. And I went, oh, my God, <laughs> which made me wonder whether whether that was the origin of Midwesterners putting bread. We put bread on meat sandwich, uh, butter on meat sandwiches. And people think we're nuts. Well, I grew up in a, in a Jewish home. Now, we weren't kosher, but my parents grew up in very Orthodox kosher homes. So we right. kind of had the same kind of instinct and it was very uh, just having dairy with with meat isn't something that oh funny yeah no i just i mean i i I do i mean i do but um it's not something that i would do i mean i would not butter the bread for a steak sandwich that would be kind of creepy to me i never realized that was a an orthodox but with ham yes (laughs) oh look at you (laughs) jambon beurre fromage there you go there yes. you Sausage go. Parfait. No, that's too good. I, that's why, you know, I, turning in their graves at that one. But yeah. I'm sorry, but but too much of that stuff is just too good. I realized when I went to college in Philadelphia, Bacon and, and all and all these Jewish folks are like, we can't have meat with cheese. I'm like, you're not going to have a cheesesteak. They're like, no. I'm like, oh man. Oh, not to mention, Wait, where did where did you go to school? I went to Penn. Oh, me too. Ah, awesome. That's cool. Years before you, though, but yeah. Well, I don't, probably not that many, but um, but um, yeah, yeah. I was I went to Penn, and like, you know, as you know, so you'll know this, Jamie. Like, I mean, obviously, cheesesteaks. Everybody knows about mm-hmm. Philadelphia, but also you're not far from Baltimore and everything, and the crabs are really good there too, mm. right? And you get crab delicious cake. crabs. And so, crab cakes. Mm. Yep. And so you'd be like, if to me, if you were kosher, that would be literally. It's like, are, do you want to tempt yourself to death? It's the worst place in the world to go. You know, I mean, I, yes. we, my family's or Brittany agnostic or, or actually Brittany, because in Brittany, hmm. we, we go to, we have friends in Brest and, uh, Le Conquet, which are right on hmm. the port. And you just go at five o'clock in the afternoon when the boats come in and you get hmm. fresh crabs, um, off the boat and right. you take oh. them home and throw them in a pot. Oh yeah, man. Crabs not allowed either. Oh, no shellfish. No. If, if yeah. uh, oh, you got that whole Old Testament thing. I'm oh, yeah. You, you oh, yeah. No gays, no shellfish. Okay. No gays, no shellfish, no abortion. No. That's why, as far as I'm concerned, I'm kidding, but but uh, we grew up with none of that. And so we ate shellfish like it was going out of style and meat, yeah. cheese. Ham, I guess I never meat. realized that was an ongoing thing. Like I've always thought of Jews and pork. I had no idea about it. And certainly the meat and 
meat and and dairy combination. I never knew that was a thing for you all. Yeah, I mean, pork's probably oh, the yeah. one that's mentioned the most. I think probably also because Muslims, <laughs> you know, there are just a lot of people mm-hmm. that can't eat it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the the meat and dairy is a big one, and, right. and shellfish. Well, it's funny because when we were we were living in the suburbs of Paris when the whole mad cow thing happened. Oh yeah, and um. During that period, there was a period of like four or five years that I tried to keep kosher. And so mm. I would drive to Kate, which has a huge Jewish Orthodox community, and right. I would go to the butcher in the supermarket there. And at that time when Mad Cow happened, the, the kosher butcher said everybody is starting to buy kosher meat because we can mm. they can be guaranteed that they're not being fed animal ground animal bone in there right because we wouldn't do that that's interesting which is how the cows were getting it because they were being fed other cows and that makes it non-kosher right so cannibalism is not kosher (laughs) cannibalism is not kosher yes you can yeah (laughs) so there's one kosher there's one part of being kosher i fully endorse so what's your favorite thing to bake or eat excuse me favorite thing to eat in terms of my favorite thing to bake my actually my favorite thing to bake is um uh, i love making puff pastry Hmm. Um, because it's, I find it really, really, really sensual and really not sexual, but sensual and very therapeutic and very, Hmm. and it takes all day. And yeah, my favorite thing to eat. Yeah. Eating. Yeah. I I can't even begin my favorite thing to eat. What's what makes you make the most yummy noises when you eat? (laughs) That's how John did. That's how I gauge. Yeah. Oh Lord. Um, I, I have to admit that it's not stuff – well, my jams, actually. Mm, really? Um, and, yeah, because I'm really good Very at jam. Very European of you. Oh, I, I love jam. I, I've seen yeah. you put some of those up there, and I'm just like, my God. But like that. And that I'm good. constantly inventing new flavors because that's oh. just fun that way. Good but, French um, pastry. with good. I have a friend – one of my best friends when I was actually studied in England. Um, so I've lived in in Europe twice, in England and then in France. But one of my friend from when I studied in England, he was from Grenoble, and a house up on the on the mountains, you know, in Grenoble, mm, and like mm-hmm. the, the every like we we stay with his family, and that whole week I'll never forget every morning, like the just the 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 variety of pastries and jams. I mean, it was incredible. It was the, oh. one of my favorite things is to walk into a cheese shop in France. Mm. And you just get the smell. You just breathe right. in. Yep. And that's an amazing thing. It's just, I could just stand there and breathe it in. It's like going to a chocolate shop, but even better than going into a chocolate mm. shop. So yeah. actually, I mean, this fascinates me. So what originally, as somebody, and John can speak for himself, but mm. there were a few times after I lived in France, I thought of moving back and I ended up not doing it. Um, what What led you to move to France and stay? Um, what led me to leave the United States more like it, because I left the States and I went to France because I'd taken high school French and everybody moves to Paris. So that's, you know, it was just a place to go. Whereas I basically let, I left the States when Reagan was reelected and I said, I can't do this anymore. And I left. And little did you know that like on the evolutionary scale, Reagan was like two or three rungs up from where we are now. No, 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 no. Reagan, in my opinion, Reagan started it, but Reagan, Reagan, yeah. I mean, he, I he did. I, this, I, I, yeah. I couldn't agree. I mean, when I talk about, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I talk no, on no. this show. If you look at the big divide of the United States on everything, we were headed to the same direction as Europe. And, you know, I've talked about gun laws a lot. You know, the, the majority of people in this country in the 60s and 70s wanted a handgun ban. 
just to give you an idea. Imagine that for a second, right? We before the NRA propagandized and all this and the far right and all that yeah. stuff, uh, and the rise of the religious right. We were in the same place on that. We were in the same place on on a lot of economic questions, the post sort of New Deal, post Great Society world. We were, and then Reagan came in, and it was this extreme form of you're in it alone. Forget community, mm-hmm. forget family. I mean, of course, you know, they talked mm-hmm. about like, you know, evangelical religion, but it was all BS. It was, and, and when I talked about earlier, I was thinking of that, even as I talked about earlier, how in the United States, we would get COVID, we'd risk COVID to go back to work, whereas in, in France, you'd risk it to go on vacation. Like the whole <laughs> sort of culture of, or, or when we're talking about, work, you know, going and working and taking what John was saying, taking pride, these folks in France, we want to show them the patisserie. We take pride in what right. we do. It's not just about the money. Right. Sure. You want to make right. a good living. But right. not, to me, the 80s, it's so ironic because conservatives hate it now. They, they claim they don't like it, but it came from them, which is this whole stripping everything bare and saying tradition, you know, family, community, all these other things that used to matter. You know, conservation, nothing matters anymore except for the bottom line. That's it. How much money it's- do you make? That's it. And that's what we split away from all of you. It was right. OK, but but add on to that. Hmm the um, Republican propaganda, which I was hearing because I was Mm -hmm. watching him cut Pell Grants and student assistance. I watched him from my dad's experience when he got sick, cutting, um, changing the rules for for veterans benefits, Mm -hmm. health care. And um, but but at the same time, it was putting Reagan on TV and telling, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of kind of um, making love to the middle class saying we are I'm only doing this, you know, I'm giving you your best life. I'm, right. I'm working only for you. Literally while, while he was he destroying was... the middle, like the exact exactly. opposite. Yeah. And so when people overwhelmingly hmm. accepted the propaganda and voted him a second term rather than saying, yeah, but he's taken away my student assistance, he's taken away my health care, he's taken away, that's when I, it, it, it was more my anger that so many people could ignore what was happening and vote for him again no you're right well yeah, i'm getting emotional it, it, now it, it just still it, it makes also, me angry but it also was sort of tested methods of which have only gotten obviously so far worse in the internet age and and everything else which is what they found in reagan is this guy mm-hmm. who, who they could put on tv who seemed to have this sunny friendly personality mm-hmm. you know who could fool Grandpa. people and there are others of them out there like that now so, i mean in a way we got lucky that trump isn't that Right. That he was evil, but he was—he would tell you he's evil in your face. So enough people were put off by it, mm-hmm. because George W. Bush didn't have Reagan's overall charisma, but he had at least that sort of smiley, sunny side that fooled enough people too, you know. Right. And you're—you're yeah. you're right. I mean, it's—it—it it, uh, this country went in just a whole different direction, and I think you're, they, the the personality of Reagan, the policies—they realized ways that they could sort of. You know, they could psychologically manipulate people. They could tell people one thing, mm-hmm. do another. They realized a lot with that presidency, and yeah. they applied those lessons. Let me. Can I ask you? Actually, we haven't talked at all about French politics, but I keep seeing these um, polls that say that um, what's her name, Marine Le Pen, mm-hmm. is dangerously close. That only a, a center right or center candidate can stop. Like the left seems to be in complete shambles there. Yeah, I think that's the that's the problem with a country. I mean, there's a lot of positive things about having, you know, 10 or 12 political parties that all have the same stage, but it splits the vote as well. So, 
Right. But yeah, I mean, I remember when her father was getting 17% of the vote and now, you know, every, every four year, five year, six year, or what used to be seven year election cycle, they would get a little bit more. And I remember it went up to 24%. And now you're seeing, yeah, she would get 50% of the vote. I mean, it was scary because I remember I was in the south of France, which by the way reminds me I have an awesome story for you, which I've told on this podcast before, but you will appreciate now even more than anybody else, Jamie. But when I was in the south of France, when I was living in Villefranche, um, that was 98. And I mean, French were busy winning the World Cup. You'd think everybody would be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but you know, he was, you know, Jean-Marie Le Pen, Jean-Marie Le Pen was getting, at that point, had 35%, 40% support sometimes down there. Um, uh, the, the story is I was walking down the street and I had my pen sweatshirt on, <laughs> um, <laughs> and for people who obviously couldn't spell, I suppose, cause it, Le Pen is P-E-N. Oh, I thought it was Le Pen. Oh my God. Versus P-E-N-N. But some mm. people started screaming at me and my French was pretty oh. elementary at the time. I was picking up some of it. They're calling me a fascist and stuff like that. And it really took me a little while to realize that. They thought I was wearing something promoting Jean Marie. Oh my God! When I was wearing oh my, my and, now, and now you'd be a hero, Cliff. <laughs> exactly. Sadly. Hey, come, come get the door of my bakery, Cliff. Exactly. And so, <laughs> so, so I'm trying to remember. I think, but I think if I remember correctly, that happened in Paris, which was obviously the way New York City is more liberal and whatever is much yeah. less uh, Le Pen friendly than, let's say, parts of the South of France. And yeah. so. In any case, I, I any was yelled at. Any instinct of what's going on with the this the resurgence of the far right over there from people you no, talk to? No, but it's probably the same thing that's pushing people like you know what's happening to the to the Republican Party in the states. I mean, every time, it, I mean, just in general, I think every time society makes these big leaps, and it's with you know it's with gay marriage, and it's with abortion, and it's with. Uh, you know, uh, it you know a new wave of immigrants coming in, right? North Africa, with, um, particularly in France, right? So. Yeah, and, and then <laughs> you're. But I mean, I think that because we live in a you know, Chinon is an incredibly conservative town, um, but I mean, I think just in general, whenever society goes through those big shifts or changes, um, it it brings out you know these you know, far right, these people who want to, you know, make our country great again and, you know, turn yeah. back the clock and hold on to because they feel threatened because they, you know, I mean, I was in Italy. Uh, we lived in Italy in the 90s. And right. it was the very first time they started to have large waves of immigrants coming and it was north africans and it was like ethiopia Ethi- yeah yeah and and the it, it, i mean I, I just remember it was just i mean people the, the italians didn't understand i mean the way they were picturing those you know i mean you know i mean it was it was mind blowing. It was mind blowing, but it was such a, a you know a shift for them that that you know all that you know that fear driven racism and evil yeah. would surge to the front because it's a you know they thought that that's the way that they you know whatever protected. That to me is where like it. evolution has just completely failed us. Yeah. You know, like when you start off when, when we're sort of beings that couldn't reason very well and there's a natural fear of anything that's different because that's exactly. a fear to protect you. 
Mm-hmm. But it, we're supposed to be, as we move on, able to overcome that and realize that just because somebody looks different, it doesn't mean that they're evil. And it, and it just seems like we're hardwired in that we didn't, our brains didn't evolve as much as new stuff evolved on top of the old stuff and the old stuff is still there all of the yeah. fear responses right. and everything so that because human beings when they see people as similar you brought up interestingly you brought up switzerland before following the rules and i brought up japan those are two actually very homogeneous countries yeah you know what i mean and people will follow rules and do, do this this and that when they don't feel like they're being threatened but they get feel like they're being threatened from things that don't threaten them and it's maddening you know, right. when it comes to people that look different or have different, cook different foods, right? Or have different customs or, I mean, yeah. it's, and I don't, you know, we've gotten better certainly than, you know, the Genghis Khan age or probably better than even 300 years ago, or, but, you know, it, it's such slow progress and there's so many people that just react in fear. It's, it's, it's disheartening. I actually wrote about something, I uh, wrote for, for Huffington Post about that about um about how the food which i wrote it a long time ago so it was kind of i went back and read it It was very clumsily written but i i'm I'm interested in the concept of when you have waves of immigrants that come in and they're kind of you know they're shunned they're scapegoated they're whatever and eventually over how many generations do they become accepted and as reflection reflected by their food so now when you have, you know, you see these um, uh, polls, for example, of every year there's, I forget who does it, a poll of uh, the French, the French, the favorite traditional dishes of the French. Hmm. And you're starting to see the last several years, uh, couscous is considered, it, yeah. is there. So you're getting these, um, you know, and soon This is be... a North African dish, which for folks has, right. know, yeah. has a lot oh, of sorry, history and yeah. a lot of negative history in France because... They were they had colonies in North Africa, the whole deal. So go see the Battle yeah. of Algiers; it'll explain it all. Yeah. Very. Yeah. It would it would be yeah. like America picking a, a some kind of traditional black dish, or Mexican, even, or you know something like that. Well, Mexican, but Mexican, I yeah, but Mexican we don't have as Mexican's different. Black would be more, except I don't know what a black dish would be because Mexican it's not like we. Hey, the War of eighteen twelve, or whatever the hell it was, not eighteen twelve. What would be Mexican American Mexican American War? War. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Alamo or whatever. I mean, you know, like, we don't really. Think like, of we Mexican kicked their asses in the way. Second Punic War. Oh, well, see, but for Republicans, it would work that way. You're right, because the goddamn Mexicans, I love their food. You know, right. like yeah, <laughs> you know. Oh, but man. no, but for Is France, that-, that that's particularly interesting. Yes. Couscous. Wow. Yeah, so it's interesting to go through, uh, you know, different countries and see when foods of immigrant mm. populations have become part of the national repertoire. Do you find, like, is, is there still, do you find mm. rising anti-Semitism too? Um, France, Jimmy, yeah. Well, I ask because yeah, I think but, most but people don't know that France has the third largest Jewish population in the world. I don't think a lot of people know that. That well, I didn't know that. It's the largest it's, of any European country. Yeah. Although it's very tiny, but um, it, well, yeah, we, we're not a big population the, overall. Here's the thing: is that my my husband has always <laughs> been the one that's been much more out in the world than I have been. Um, over the years, I've you know I've I haven't had I've I've freelanced a lot, so I'll go out to do a freelance thing or to take people on tours, and then I'll come back home and I you know take care of the kids. But he's out there with, you know, business lunches and conferences and all this stuff. What does he do? And Is he, it for the uh, hotel? 
he's or, well now he owns a hotel he but um he was <laughs> he's hmm. like me we've had many many different he was in he was started out as a veterinarian he was then 15 or 20 years in veterinary publishing then he was in occupational safety health and hazard and then we left that to buy the hotel Okay, so, so when he's having both, those meetings you're talking about, were, were those about the... It's people in, yeah, it's people in publishing, it's pharmaceutical okay. companies, it's, it's, every, it's yeah. every, you know, everything. And he would see, he would come home and say, oh my God, yeah, yeah, the, the, the conversation just kind of veered off to, you know, this group and that group and this group and the, and, you know, and he... So he always protected me and the boys um, to try and keep us away from that or to yeah. keep that away from us. But, um, and it's been pretty successful as far as me not, you know, I mean, I'm the kind of person that goes out and gets the, you know, oh, you don't look, you're Jewish, you don't look Jewish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of anti-Semitism. Yeah, but, I get some um, of that too. But, and I and I not being yeah. Jewish would get the opposite, which and that doesn't happen anymore. But when I first moved to DC in the eighties, I would always get the, oh, so what's your last name? I know where are you from, Chicago. What's your last name, Erevosis? Oh, is that Greek? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were Jewish. All <laughs> the time. And first, dark of all, eyes and uh, I've got lighter features, so I never. Well, I mean, well, and being from the Midwest we always want to know people's ethnicity. That's, that's just a given. Like we love mm -hmm. that right, in Chicago, but, but it, you, you never did it in this weird, what's your last name way you would say, Oh, what are you? <laughs> we would just say it all right. Or, yeah. or my favorite, what nationality are you? We'd say in Chicago. And here it was just this cagey, Oh, what's your family? And, and then I, I started to learn that what your family name was a roundabout way to figure out if I was Jewish. I haven't gotten that, though, since like the 80s or 90s now. That sort of passed away hmm. in D.C., which I thought was interesting, but kind of weird it is nonetheless. Yeah. Well, you know, in the past, and I think it, it was already stopping here by the time I moved to Cincinnati, there would be right. what parish are you from? <laughs> just to give you an idea of how some some of that goes so well yeah like it's, it's like one. <laughs> well it's like yeah my husband's like when you know people find out that we don't celebrate christmas it's like what dun, dun, like, dun. You know, what makes you weird you know i mean so you don't do oysters so. and duck and all that stuff or whatever the french do, pate <laughs> I'm happy I hate to visit meal. your place at christmas in france no christmas christmas <laughs> and new years we would always go to the market Right. And buy the fancy, expensive stuff that everybody else was buying for their, you know, réveillon for their Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve dinner. And we would just have a little, we would put on a movie and we would eat, yeah, oysters. Well, oysters are common, but yeah, um, yeah we would eat all the little fancy, you know, fancy ah, okay. things yeah. in front of a movie. You just wouldn't dedicate it to Père Noël or whatever. Yeah. Right. Once in a while, we would exchange a gift on Christmas, but our boys liked Hanukkah better because, um, well, I raised them Jewish, but um, uh, they like the fact that there are eight nights and not one. Yeah, but, uh, you know, my, my... Oh, that's great. You get one Christmas, I get eight. Yeah, the more, the more son, presents, my... the boys are always happy, or my boys, yeah. Ahead, Except my son is like last year, he was like, okay, here's our Christmas corner and here's our Hanukkah corner. Ooh, <laughs> <Yeah>. tricky. <laughs> yeah. Tricky, and they're crafty. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Oh my! I mean, once I could he did drag. Once sure. my son, when my son was Sorry? in high school, he dragged a Christmas tree home because he really, 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 really wanted a Christmas tree. And he said, "If you bring a Christmas tree home, we're happy to decorate. I love decorating Christmas right. trees." 
Um, but you have to then get rid of it after oh, yeah. Christmas. And we waited and waited and waited and waited for months for him to get rid of that thing. <laughs> oh, it was in pieces all over the the, the living room floor. He carried it out, yeah. Yeah, that's oh, what God. happens. Get yeah. their mess. I do fake trees now. Also because the real tree triggered my allergies. I think they'd sprayed it with something. But I have a beautiful fake tree. It goes up fast. It come, no, it looks really good, though. But it's so No, much, I know. We've switched off. So I, mean, I said to people, you know, I married a, as I'm a lapsed Jew, I married a lapsed Presbyterian and we're lapsed whatever's together. Our kids get to celebrate everything because right. they're halfies. And uh, we've, 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 we've done both. We've had the tree, you know, and with the, the yeah. fake one that looks good. And we've had a real one. We kind of switch off on that. But the fake yeah. ones, if they get a really good one, you're right. Yeah. They look, they yeah. look pretty good. The nice ones look pretty good. But I, I used to be very anti-fake tree but i've been won over um, well we i get to i get to decorate a little bit for christmas i'm given a very very tiny budget for the hotel because we like to put something in reception so yeah i'm i'm allowed to do it and my my yeah my um my <laughs> girl my staff think i'm absolutely nuts because i get so excited <laughs> what about the tree <laughs> about being able to decorate the- oh that's, really, that's cool though oh, actually in americans i'm gonna guess although Obviously, your tradition was totally different anyway, but if you were brought up Jewish, but Americans, I would imagine we decorate more for Christmas. Yeah. Then, because I like in Europe, again, France is what I know. I'm always a little bit surprised because what is considered decorating outside is putting up these, and they're only white though, which drives me nuts, white Christmas lights. And they go like from one side of the street to the other, and they're okay, but they're white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the whole street is white lights, and you're like, "How about some color? How about some?" There's some folks here who do the blue ones, but then there are people that have a huge like blow up Santas on their lawn, and I mean, oh, we I do it in that. the kind I'm of the... gauche American way that well, actually, Americans do actually, everything. France has. I had bought this, but I got rid of it when I moved. France has a wonderful Santa that's like climbing a ladder, and he lights up. But you put him on the side of your house, and it looks like Santa's climbing your house. Fabulous. Okay, I was just, I was just going to mention that that is has become. <laughs> you just like drive through to, and of course, yeah. because they don't take them down right after New Year's. They're like for six months. You see these poor Santas hanging from people's yeah, exactly. roofs. <laughs> or for, like there's like, another one. <laughs> well, you'd have them like hanging from the 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 gutters. They're fabulous. I shouldn't have thrown it out when I moved, but I was like, it was too much trouble. But um, but also because it was European. Like, Actually, just gets to the point like, where they need to look like they need help. Well, well like, it's funny because the, because two years, uh, two, three three years ago, I think. Uh, they they didn't i i just kept walking there was one place uh between here and walking into the center of chinon where they hadn't taken the christmas lights down but there was one of these poor little santas probably only about six inches long hanging from one of the things you know climbing the christmas light in the middle of the street right. and i just kept going you know it's january it's february it's march this poor santa's still <laughs> hanging there and i finally tweeted about it Oh. And like literally that same week, it disappeared. And I'm oh. thinking, is somebody from Chinon, a city hall, following me on Twitter right. that they're seeing this? And I'm starting <laughs> to make embarrassment. Fun of them. The American found it. <laughs> <laughs> she oh, doesn't like funny. it's hanging from the. I loved those things, though. I mean, like I said, not enough decorations in France. Although not enough decorations no. in DC, to be honest. My neighborhood, we don't have. It's not like in Chicago, where every block is, or my suburb in Chicago, every block is just you know ninety percent of the homes have lights out here. <laughs> Not so much. Well, here the French are very, very, very private people and discreet when it comes to anything. It's all, yeah. So my eight-foot inflatable Grinch would not be welcome in France, you mean? 
He's a exactly. Grinch Santa. Excuse me, he's a Grinch Santa, just to add to it. Yes. Wow. A Grinch Santa. No, I love going back to, to where I grew up in Florida because the street behind us is mm. like a, a court, a court with, yeah. uh, I don't know, 20, 20, 30, 20, 25 houses on it. And since I was a kid, and they still do it, even though it's new people in the houses, there's a tradition on this court where they all decorate together, and it's like crazy. Oh, um, I love and it. It's fantastic. And they do the luminaries down the center. And God, I there's, love a, doing that. there's actually a block in Baltimore that does that. It's a small little block, and friends there took me years ago, and it is. It's all these old, very blue collar. I don't even know if they're from the 1930s kind of row houses, super duper mm. little row houses next to each other, you know, only like one floor or whatever that look like old great grandmas live there. And the entire block is <laughs> obscenely decorated. But imagine every house on both sides of this little block obscene amount of decoration, like you see in those crazy houses. But now yeah. imagine like 50 houses in a row. Oh, it's that's great. And of course, it's tacky as hell. There must be a Virgin Mary thrown in. It's tacky as hell, <laughs> but, but fabulous at the same time. And I have to say, since we're talking about Christmas, is that I really, really miss American Christmas candy because here it's hmm. just so boring. It's just either plain chocolate or it's praline filled what chocolate. Is Christmas, and that's what it. Is Christmas can- what is American Christmas candy? I'm not familiar. What do you mean? Well, it's like like the malted milk bowl robin's oh. eggs and the peeps and the yeah, oh, chocolate covered marshmallow Santas and Ooh, things those like are that. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I that stuff. You know what you know what I think you like, which is very interesting, because you've now divulged this multiple times. I'm going to accuse you of having a European's sense of taste for desserts. Because you keep describing things that are very sugary, not things that are very unctuous, gooey, chocolatey, like I like, which is very American. You've got my mom's, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but you've got my mom's taste for desserts. She was born in Greece. She likes yeah. uh, jujubes, um, though, uh, what, not jujubes, what do you call it? Uh, uh, jelly beans, right? She likes sugary Does she eat candy. Necco wafers? What, what are they called? Necco wafers? I don't know what they are. Oh my God. Not sure. Go into oh, a pharmacy and buy Necco oh. wafers. Yeah, yeah, those are maybe they're Jewish. They're, maybe they're, they're sugary, very Jewish. They're sugary yeah. things, though. They're not mm. unctuous. Is the only word I can find. That's the way I like my dessert. It should ooze like a warm mm-hmm. chocolate chip cookie, a warm brownie, um, you know, French silk pie. Easier than Ted Cruz. Mm. Easier than Ted Cruz. Easy <laughs> Cruz. But um, but it's interesting though. No, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of things that are sugar. That for me, I'd be like, eh. Yeah, but, but that's but that's pan. nostalgia because I I I don't eat that way when I'm here, and in fact, hmm. I think I've my sugar, um, my th- sugar threshold for when I'm eating things are, hmm. has gone down. So when I go to the states, a lot of stuff is wait. I can't eat yogurts in the states. I can't eat yeah. Yeah. cookie. There's a lot of things I can't eat because I'm just not used to it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So you come back and like look at the size of the portions of things. You're like, what the? Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I said I yeah. wanted the Big Mac, not the size of a block Mac. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like even going into Starbucks and getting the tiniest, smallest thing, and it's still like three times bigger than what you'd get here. You know, the thing that frustrates me coming back here every time from France is a we do Dannon will not sell in the states uh, pineapple yogurt. They sell the most delicious oh. pineapple yogurt in France, the little the mm-hmm. little containers. They do not sell it in the States. The other thing they don't sell, at least here in the North, some Floridians told me maybe they do, the Tropicana blood orange juice is to die for. You cannot find it here. 
I'm trying to think of where I pisses me off. Oh, in in Paris, it's in every supermarket. <clears throat> oh well, maybe that's where I saw it here. Yeah. Yeah. Was it uh, something like Jus de Song or something like that? I don't even know. But uh, Songin, yeah. Or Song oh, Songin. I think it's Songin. Songin. Okay, but um, mm. it's to die for, and mm. I never even knew what a blood orange was, and here you can't get it, and it is such a unique take on an orange. It's just oh my god. I don't even love orange. Orange juice is okay. This is unctuous. What? <laughs> what? Orange, is, orange juice is what? okay. I find it very sweet. Don't orange juice. See, no. but that's because you like, I accuse you of liking sugar. See, for me, you orange accuse. juice is, is pure. Exactly, you accuse. <laughs> orange juice is pure sugar to me. It's okay, but it's pure sugar. Whereas blood orange juice mm. is something else. It's transmogrified into this luscious I thing. I did a book. We get we get blood oranges. In fact, the last few years we've mm. gotten more and more and more blood oranges during the winter here, but they're very pale. And right. when I went to LA to do a book event Anemic for oranges. my orange book, yeah. they had um, blood oranges that were like the size of large marbles. I've never seen such tiny oranges mm. before, but they were garnet colored. They were really really dark, right. and mm. they tasted. They were much. Um, Tangier tartar than than the ones. Oh, that could be good here. Yeah, but I but I make blood orange um, jam, marmalade jam. Ooh. But cara cara orange jam is the best. Cara cara oranges, the best, oh, the best marmalade. What are they? I've never heard of them. They're a navel orange, but the the flesh is pink, and <clears throat> they have like kind a, of a bit like a you know, was it pomplemousse uh, grapefruit? <laughs> um, <laughs> in essence. I mean, the it's look like is a, at least. No, it's yeah. like a, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a more, there's an orange tint to the pink that's different than a pink grapefruit, but yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's a very, it's almost, um, you'll get almost no tartness, no orange tartness to it. So right. it's almost just pure fruitiness. Hmm. Really good. Although I do like a good tartness for, uh, my mom is on a, yeah. a lifetime of finding a tart enough orange marmalade because everything's too sweet for her and she wants it to bite very mm -hmm. hard <laughs> just so you know well, <laughs> it's been yeah. a, i'm always buying her stuff and she's like it's okay it's too sweet i'm like all right you know she wants the orange just to kick her in the butt <laughs> oh, well, then so we like lemon, so same idea that kind of a very strong citrusy oh well then i do i do um pink grapefruit orange navel orange and lemon Marmalade oh, there you go. Together. There you go. Well, she was talking about when she was a kid in Greece and they would, um, and I've tried to do a recipe like this and I failed, but like boil the oranges, uh, boil the lemons whole mm -hmm. and kind of go from there. Her aunt would do it or something. She remembers the, you know, sort of the recipes were, and you use the whole, you know, sort of the whole fruit in making your jam and everything, even the rind and everything mm. else. But yeah, someday. Mm. I tried doing mm. it just to get like slices for the top of a, whatchamacallit, that English lemon tea cake they eat. I just thought I'd make one at some point because I'd never heard of it before. Um, and it was very good, but the top, the little thing that went on top was bad. My my rind was kind of, oh. it was too tough and it wasn't very tasty. And I was, what do you do? I love, I love lemon. That, that's my that's, that's my nod to the Greeks is the lemon, even though otherwise I want chocolate. You were saying Greek food? I tell you, no, Greek food, I have never... There's something I've never tried making Greek food, and I oh. and I've and I've I, there's we should something do our about book it then. That, well, you and John, yeah, you've got <laughs> yeah. something to collaborate on now because it's always funny, made really. me a little. It's always made me a little nervous because it just seems so. I have a <clears throat> Greek cookbook. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of Greek cookbooks. Oh, that's true. My son gave me a Greek cookbook as <clears throat> well, 
Um, Philo which is actually Philo she has only problem. Huh? Philo dough is your phyllo dough, whatever you want to call it, is your only yeah. threat when making Greek desserts. Everything else you should be fine with, but you have to know how to navigate phyllo dough, how to use it before it goes, before it turn, dries out on you and everything else. That's the only trick. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's a recipe. And actually, I find the dessert recipes to be ridiculously easy in general for Greek desserts. People think, you know, baklava. Baklava yeah. or moussaka is a little harder. Baklava is, I can throw baklava together in 10 minutes. I mean, it's ridiculous. And people are like, ooh, baklava. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, even me, I mean, I, you know, I do puff pastry stuff and it's still kind of baklava well, I've never, never make my jumped own. into. I tried making my own uh, filo dough once and it was mm -hmm. okay. It was kind of, I didn't like it. I mean, I didn't do a very good job, but uh, that's not so easy. The old ladies don't do that anymore. You know, we mm. don't make our own dough. We're not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would try, I did try it once. I would try it again if I had somebody who knew what they were doing, because yeah. that, that would be interesting to make your own filo. But any, any Greek worth their salt would say you're out of your mind. <laughs> is it like, is it like making strudel dough? Where you just have to get it so thin. Um. Yeah. And as oops, hello. And my, as we as we speak, mom is go okay. That's really. <laughs> I have this on mute and it's ringing. What is? Do, 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 do. That's that's mom calling. Actually, I'm gonna talk. And to she her. knows we're talking about Greek food. That's Honest why. To God, I just don't know why it's ringing when it's on mute. I'm literally looking at it on mute. Okay, whatever. Technology hates me today. Um. It's a, uh, I'm trying to remember, it's a, it's, it, it's not, the thing is you don't, you aren't doing multiple layers of it. Each piece does not have multiple layers. It's just a matter mm -hmm. of getting it thin enough. And I was finding it very right. hard to get it thin enough without it falling apart. So then it was thicker. And then if you're, once you construct something out of filo dough, you end up putting multiple layers, whether you're putting multiple layers in a pan, like for a baklava mm -hmm. or a, a folded dish, almost uh I'm trying to think. Poles, I think, have something like this, but we call them uh, tiropites or whatever, where they're uh, triangle footballs. Oh, I've made those. Right, the little footballs we'd make as kids yeah. out of triangles. We we put uh, cheese and feta, feta and egg and stuff in the middle. Delicious, but uh, but trying to so that so then you fold that on itself, so you're getting multiple layers of the filo mm -hmm. dough, right? But if you, if it's not thin enough, you're getting this way too thick, you know, bready thing that isn't what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be an empanada yeah. times 10. It's supposed to be <laughs> pastry dough in essence. I just, I did not succeed. I, I'd consider it again, but I'd have to have somebody, YouTube was not my friend in that regard. I tried and all the women saying, <laughs> it's so easy. It was not so easy. <laughs> it was not so easy. <laughs> I guess we could try again. The Greek and the, and the French American try to make phyllo. <laughs> sure. Because it's the same reason I've show. never tried to make strudel dough is because it just I'm like how in the how in the world can I get that do that? I made I did strudel dough once just because I saw one of those simple easy peasy recipes. Haha, <laughs> it wasn't terrible, but again, too much dough to basically mm. make the strudel dough and then you fold it all around a really good candy bar. But I'm talking like a Giardelli <laughs> great chocolate bar, and you just fold oh. it in. And let it cook until it makes it. The problem I had was the layers weren't really cooking on the bottom. So it comes out cooked and the dough underneath is kind of raw. Mm, Very yeah. Figure out. And maybe it was too thick. Maybe I don't know what, but there's hell. It could have been the baking pan. It could have been anything. But, um, but, but yeah. the dough was, but it took a couple of days to make the dough. Cause you're, I, I just remember rolling it out, cooling it. And every time you rolled it out, you had to kind of put more butter and then fold it on itself. And it was fun, but it was pure butter too, of course. You know, big which crunch. is the purpose of it yeah really yeah. 
but I may have used it. Was, well, that it was always a great idea. Good. But imagine like a gooey, rich, like and wrap it around steak. A steak. Don't don't compare, don't compare my chocolate to steak, you heathen. Um, John anyway, understand yeah. the deliciousness of steak. Ooh. As we talk, I'm actually after the show. I've got to run <clears throat> and get a few more chocolate chips across the street because I'm trying a new uh, banana bread. I I suck at banana bread. Banana breads just don't cook well for me. They're always they always <gasps> collapse. Or they have you stay. tried my recipe? I don't. Oh, John, what what pray tell? And I have been making. It's in the isolation baking um, ebook, which is free on Apple Books actually. Oh. Um, and I've been making it for a hundred years in a loaf pan. And last month I decided to try it in a nine by nine inch square brownie pan. And it came out with a different texture, more like a cake rather than it it was, it was completely different. It came out lighter and fluffier, which was really cool because I loved it too. It was like a different cake. It would bake better. I mine. And I mean, I, I use the temperature and everything. I mean, temperature probe. I do not leave things to chance. I, I have a very difficult time getting banana bread to cook on the inside and, or, one of the things I realized was I may have been overbeating it in the egg stage so that in the butter stage so that you're getting too much air in it and it ends up floating up too high and then collapsing after it comes out of the oven. But also mm. just cooking that inside, turning it into muffins works. That's an easy, an easy trick uh-huh. if you're having problems with breads like that. You put it, you, you put, you know, they're 18 muffins. They cook for 20 minutes at 350 and you're done. I mean, that's pretty easy. Yeah. But but I always want to get a banana bread to work, and it's a nice – it might be Washington Post recipe because it also adds a cup of coffee, which I thought sounded – and a little bit of chocolate oh. chip. Which I thought, ooh, the coffee intrigues me, you know, for a, a richness. But Okay. Um, um, send, send me the link to – send me the link to the recipe. I'm curious about it now. Yeah, I can – I, of course, copied the recipe. I don't know if I have the link, but I can – I'll oh. find it. Worst comes to worst, I'll just email you my copy of it. Or um, it's on it's on Washington Post and it has yeah, it's a banana it's bread Washington recipe Post. with it's, coffee, so I can. I'll find I just it. know it's a coffee. Cho- I literally called it cof- coffee chocolate chip banana bread from the Washington Post. I just <laughs> copied the recipe and put it in my little notes that I keep. I keep all my recipes online so I can access them everywhere. Oh, okay, very so important. The question is: Have you downloaded my ebook? Say no. yes, yeah, even if you haven't. But <laughs> tell me right now where it's free. Where is it? Tell me on Amazon. It's what I'm on doing. Apple Books. In fact, in my everybody Twitter else pay Facebook. attention to this. By Apple the way, it's not Amazon. In, in it's no Apple Books. It's just an Apple Books. Um, if you if you have that's for Mac or iPad users. If you use PC or Android, you have to ask me for the link for the just the PDF. But in my Twitter profile, I have um, the link, the Amazon link to Orange Appeal. But right after that, I have the Apple Books link to. Um, isolation baking oh i see and that's free to download yeah and the banana bread recipe is in that oh i'm opening it right now how fun open apple i've never opened the books app on my mac itself the the phone's a different story Mm -hmm. let me just open it on my phone because that's where i'm going to want it anyway reading now la 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 Mm -hmm. apple books i've never even used this on my computer i won't walk everybody through this i'll try that later but on my phone i'm going to get it so i search for jamie Schler, 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 Schler. <laughs> oh, there it is. Oh, how yeah. fun. Why'd you make it free? Oh, very long, complicated story because oh, it was God. a question. We, well, no, we were going to charge for it because we, it came out and we were going to use, we were going to sell it for like five bucks. So the money right. would go into the hotel because we had no income for a year oh, <laughs> and yeah, to geez. help boost it. But because it's Apple is American and because I'm American, 
they were trying to get like all my tax information that you have to upload and we wanted it the money to actually go to the hotel but not have the hotel is um, a long complicated crazy thing so we're just like just um give it for free and during those first few months a lot of people made donations to the hotel in hmm. exchange for the book so oh, that's nice. it, it worked anyway yeah um Best chocolate chip banana bread or the second? It hits two times here, page 90 and page 101. Which one am I looking for? Or is that the one? It's in your... twice. Well, I got two hits for it when I searched. I don't want to bore everybody, but. Well, that's weird. <laughs> Maybe 99 is the photo and the, and the 101 is the recipe because the first page has the photo and the ingredients. And then the second page would have the recipe. Yeah, no, no. It's oh, here it is. Mom's chocolate chip no chocolate chip nut bread. Oh no, that's right. That's that's a nut uh, pecan nut bread. That was my mom's recipe. All right, well, I can figure this out later with you. By uh, yeah. I'll find it. it's. I'm having difficulty. There's only one that has banana in it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the search function on <laughs> Apple is being evil. Is the not evil, but it's being a little. You know, doesn't like you. Oh, see, but I only I'm have my. I only have my. Yeah, I wonder if the copy I have on my computer that I access is the author. Oh, I got it. Best copy. chocolate chip banana know. bread ever. Yes. We're not Eric and, and Darby. And I will say, I will say. <laughs> I'm hitting. I'm being funny. Sorry. Go ahead. My yeah. my son, my son, my 30 year old uh, son who does not really cook or bake. The other one is a tremendous cook, hmm. but um, the other one is like, yeah, he's one of those people that eats pasta every night. Oh God. Um, yeah. He learned how to make this chocolate chip banana bread. We did a video session, a video chat session. He learned right. how to make it, and he now makes it once a week. Oh, funny. Wow. And he brings it into the office when you have an office to go into <laughs> pre-confinement. Pre Standard recipe. But, pretty easy. Yep. It's a very easy recipe. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, seriously. Actually, I may, well, I may try that. God, I really want to try the coffee. The problem is I wouldn't know how to how to replace, it's a cup of coffee and I can't figure out what the liquid is that they're using, not to get really too baking anal here for the rest of you. Um, you know what I mean? But like all the other recipes, there isn't enough liquid to really replace with a cup of coffee unless it's coming out of the bananas, right? Even yours, it's an eighth cup milk or buttermilk. It's only an eighth of a cup. Yeah, it's mostly because- Cannot plus, figure out how they're doing I it. Use, what, what is the, what is the fat? Because I use oil, which adds liquid. They use oil, they, but they use oh. it well. For two loaves, they're using a cup and a half of oil, which is a lot. You use half yeah. a cup for one loaf, which which makes me happier. Okay, um, so maybe this is why it's not baking all the way because there's too much liquid in it. I haven't made theirs yet. I've made other oh. ones. I've oh, been oh, 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 sorry. Every okay. banana bread I've ever made, <laughs> and I'm a good cook. <laughs> banana bread hates me. Hates me. Hmm. I can try yours, even though it doesn't have the flour. I mean, the uh, the the coffee in it. I will give it a try. Well, now I'm curious for you to try it to see if it comes out. And if it works, then we would, we'll, we will add um, a teaspoon of instant espresso powder. Well, that's true. You're right. <laughs> I'm gonna, I don't have that anymore. I've got to go find some because I don't, I don't really drink instant coffee. But to have it for cooking, I, I've looked before. I've got to remember to yeah. cook at 325 too. So this is getting way too geeky for the rest of you. But that's intriguing as well, 325, a little low. Interesting. I mean, low for Americans always cook at 350, which is intriguing to see a a recipe for that. Okay, sorry. We're going on too long. Okay, sorry. We're getting way too geeky. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to do that on our show later. Um, anything else, Cliff? Sorry, we've gone... Actually, we've already gone for an hour and 20. We can probably wrap, I'm guessing. Unless there's any other political stuff we have to discuss. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything we... Well, missed. all I can say is that hopefully the vaccines in Europe are starting to roll out. I got my first shot today and my husband... Your first shot? Six, my first vaccine today and the next is in May, May 14th. Right. 
my husband got a, uh, an appointment for to, for next week. So wait, you got your vaccine. first one just now, Jamie? Yeah, because okay, they're well, just happy they're just vaccination starting, day. Yeah, they opened up all of these vaccination hmm. centers. Um, they got they gave permission for veterinarians and pharmacists and and nurses and everybody else to be able to give the vaccine. But they had so you'd go online and they'd say, "There's spaces here, but there's no vaccines." Hmm. <laughs> oh, so now they're starting to roll out. Yeah, now they're starting to roll out. Well, I'm glad you said your husband got an appointment too for next week. Is that what you yep. said? Yeah. Good. What yep. kind? Which one did you get? Just curious. Pfizer. They're all Pfizer now here for the moment. Oh, interesting. And I, I know that, you all were really relying on AstraZeneca there in Europe. Yeah, so AstraZeneca and, and Johnson & Johnson, yeah, I, I, a lot of the countries are like, AstraZeneca, let's start it, let's stop it, let's start it, let's yeah. stop it, let's start it. So now they're just trying to speed up the Pfizer stuff here. And there's No Moderna there? Huge. Um, <clears throat> interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. Okay. But I don't, I don't know if they're doing Moderna in France. We may have. I, we may I have think my the... son in Switzerland said they're doing Moderna and Pfizer there. Hmm. I think. Interesting. It's interesting. Okay. I mean, and my really son in Belgium, well, country by country, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't. Well, know I'm just glad that you got your first one, and your husband has an appointment. Yeah. And I just yeah. passed my two-week mark since my first one. Well, actually, I didn't just. I guess it was four days ago. So I'm excited because you hit the eighty percent, you know, mark then of of uh, theoretically being. Hmm strong like bull and uh and even higher above 90 percent of of if you get it you still would not get symptoms and so mm -hmm. i'm just excited my second one's coming up in about 11 11 days 10 days mm -hmm. so i can't wait yeah because what happened here is that um in in a place like chino we were one of the mm. the lowest covid rate level uh, levels in france regions mm, yep. and um after a year, more just over a year here, we're starting to know people personally who are getting COVID hmm. now. Right. Interesting. Oh, that's so interesting. It's like moving wow. closer and closer. So that yeah. takes me back, Jamie, to, not, to <laughs> six, seven months ago when I only knew a few people. My God, at this point, I must know yeah. 30, 40, 50 people who've had it at least, <gasps> like personally, wow. you know, wow. like, like friends, family. Yeah. It's crazy. Huh. That's America. We decided to, I mean, we well, may have gotten the vaccine sooner, but we did everything else wrong. I tell you, being in the hospitality business, we're very, very, very lucky that not, none of us and none of our staff have gotten it. You really yeah. are. It's true. Are One of our receptionist's more... husband had it, but last week. <laughs> Where do people find you if they're in the area and want to go? Yeah, uh, tell us, tell, tell, like, if, if we're and, leaving and, here, tell everybody how to find all of your good stuff. Hotel, podcast, yeah. books. The whole damn okay, thing. hotel is Hotel Diderot, oh, D I D E R O T, and it's in right. Chinon, France. Chinon, C H I N O N, which is in the center. So we're, you know, three ish hours from Paris. Okay. Cool. And um, in the Loire Valley, right in the middle of all the chateau, the Chateau of the Loire. So it's oh, a beautiful place to visit. It is yeah. A nice area, okay, see, yeah. when yeah, I yeah, first, yeah. I was Googling where. Where this, where this app we're using to record the show claimed you were somewhere down near Lyon. That's funny. Yeah, it says Orex sur well, Loire, and I don't even know where that's that is. That's not it. It's it's you, know, you yeah. can't be too near far Lyon. From Lyon, where you are, right? It yeah. is. Yeah. Well, I didn't know yeah, you were Lyon's Loire. That's interesting. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's great because so, that is nice because yeah. then that's that's the kind of place you want to go. The Loire is where a lot of tourists will Absolutely. go again once things open up. So that's nice, and it's a little yeah. hotel, a bed and breakfast. What is it? 
a 27 room hotel, but it's in nice. a, it's housed in a 15th century mm. uh, building that used to be a home for a canon of the church. Mm. Oh, fascinating. Yes. Not very shocking. fascinating. That area, yeah. really cool. Uh, yeah, no, it's it still is an American walking through this medieval town where people are still living in 15th century houses. And you're like, well, that's something. <laughs> I, I saw that. You put up like a walk through town up on Twitter, and it was reminding me of kind of some of my things when I was in Europe. It's amazing when you walk down some of those streets. Yeah. Different than here. Um, hmm. Okay, so so that, so okay. people know how to find the hotel. And yes. we've told you, you when it comes to uh, to your books, where to Orange books? Appeal? Orange be up Appeal. on Amazon, right? Yeah. Um, Isolation right. Baking is on Apple Books, uh, free download. Yep. If you do not have a, an Apple product like a Mac or an iPad, you can contact me on Twitter at LifeSafeast, and I will give you the, the link to the PDF. And you should follow Jamie, too, because um, she's fun and cool, and her politics are smart, and her f- cooking is good. So really, what more do you want in life? Yeah, um, I have my, my Twitter feed is... Food, recipes, jam, politics, granddaughter, politics, mm. food. <laughs> she know, and she know, and hotel. So it's like, it's like, what am I today? Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you for well, joining us. Thanks this so much great. for joining us, Jamie. Especially you. like my asking you last minute yesterday. That was very cool of you to come on with us. Well, all morning I kept thinking, concentrate on the podcast, not the vaccine. Concentrate on the podcast, <laughs> not the vaccine. <laughs> That's true. So and hopefully we were helpful that way. Yes. This was great fun, guys. All right. Thanks so much. Well, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Great. Let's talk Thank soon. Thank you. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. Alrighty. Um, l- well, that I was going to do an ad, but I guess maybe we should let's just close the show and then we'll figure out if we got an ad or not today, Cliff. I have no idea. Okay. Um, <laughs> that so works. Hope now, everybody did, enjoyed. You hear, did you hear, because I've got my, my good microphone, you probably did not, but at one point there was this loud roaring noise behind me. It was not my Google Home device. Doggy? I was looking... What? No, I was no. It was a roaring coming from outside, roaring. and I was looking okay. around because in D.C., typically that means like you know we're under attack because we don't have planes flying overhead. It's not allowed. I saw you place. looking around, John. I didn't know what it was about. That so. there was well. Then somebody tweeted a minute later. There were some uh, like fighter jets or whatever that flew over the city for some World War One memorial dedication. They're doing. So I was uh, like, okie dokie, just scared. It's, I mean, this is DC, you know, planes don't roar overhead unless we're in trouble. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. Where I am I? actually, when, when the, when the, uh, little hmm. fun point, interesting history point, when the Soviets were, uh, hmm. determining which of our cities to blow up first, <laughs> should we have a nuclear war? Actually, Cincinnati was pretty high on the list because GE Aviation's home was here. Oh, interesting. So you have a lot of the, the planes are built here, and then Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is right next right. to us in Dayton. So right. we, we actually do get some some of that kind of stuff overhead yeah. sometimes. It's a little, but I mean, when it's roaring, it's a little weird because it's like a, you know, right. it was a roar. It was like looking around. I thought somebody was dragging something in the alley. I was like, what the hell? Very weird. Anyway. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed. Jamie's really cool, and hopefully you took down some recipes and also learned about some international politics. Well, the best part is if you if you put up with all of my cooking talk, you got a free recipe book at the end. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of funny. It's like our little, I'll tell people maybe in the description. Well, and guys, you can, as we've said before, tell us in the comments what you like, what you don't like. We're trying to do more of like, you know, politics is always going to be a big part of the show. We talked it with Jamie, whether it was French politics or U.S. politics, but... 
but we're trying to have on people that can be experts in energy, experts in baking, yep. experts in you know, like it's it's you know, Understood. medical history and putting monkeys' heads on uh, exactly. on uh, other monkeys. Like we're trying to do some interesting stuff. So tell yep. us if you like it. All right, thanks, guys. Talk to you.